verses 1 through 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 1. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who ate the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Here ends the reading of God's most holy word. Thank you, Tim. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that you have revealed yourself through your son, Jesus. We're thankful for the living word and the written word. We're thankful that as we now open up your word, that your spirit is able to give us understanding. And I pray, Father, that you would help me and empower me by your spirit to say what your word says and that you would enable all all of us here today to hear and to believe and to follow. We thank you 
for the way that you minister to our hearts. It's for our good and for your glory. So help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, Our primary sermon text text today will be verses 16 and 17, and we'll look at it a little bit in its fuller context. But as we begin, I think it's helpful for us to recognize the fact that we live in a dog-eat-dog world. Um, This is a world where people do what is best for self, with no regard for others. But it's even worse than that. It's not just having no regard for others or ignoring others. It's actually a willingness to hurt others to get what you want. So people climb over and destroy whoever they must in order to climb the corporate ladder or in order to close a deal. It's politicians tearing down people who stand in the way of getting what they're pursuing. It's any relationship in the home or on the playground, in the classroom, in the workplace, where people are looking out for number one. That's the message of the world, and our sinful flesh too often quite agrees that you have to look out for number one because no one else will. And undoubtedly, you have been hurt by others in this way, and it's possible that you may at some point done the same to others. Now, thankfully, thankfully, this is not how Christ has treated his own. Listen, if you would, to the humility and the love of Christ as I read Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, and Here we read of Christ, we read this, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he He did that to purchase your redemption from sin. Uh, The the Apostle Paul says this in this text to urge you to have the same attitude towards others. Philippians chapter 2 in the preceding verses 1 through 5 says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, Any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is, praise God, is the remedy for a dog-eat-dog world. When you have been loved by God through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, you are called 
to put off self-centered living and to follow the example of Christ, of putting the interest of others ahead of your very own. That's what our sermon text teaches for today. Today we're preparing our hearts for the Lord's table. And in fact, as we partake of the table, we want to bless the Lord as we drink the cup and as we eat the bread together. And we want to do this together as a church. The bread and the cup that we will partake of this morning represent the communion or the participation or the fellowship we have with Christ in the new covenant. It's through the body of Christ given for you, all of you, plural, and His shed blood that we are set free from sin and reconciled to God. Without the shed blood of Christ, it would be impossible for us to enjoy a relationship with God or with each other. Without the shed blood of Christ, we would have no desire or ability to bless the Lord or to sing praises to Him for His glory and to do that together as a body. It's entirely fitting that 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation or communion or fellowship? Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? I want to suggest there are four main things that we want to see here in this verse. And the first is this, that the cup, uh, the cup is referred to as the cup of blessing. Um, this cup represents God's blessings given to us through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, secondly, we, we bless the cup. We speak well of the cup. We give praise to God for blessing us in Christ through His sacrificial death. And three, the cup represents our communion or fellowship in the body of Jesus that established the new covenant. In the new covenant, we know God. We commune with God. We live in a right relationship with God through the work of Jesus. And then four, the same is true for the bread. The bread that we break represents the body of Christ given for you. The bread we break represents our communion or fellowship in Christ or in the body of Christ. So our communion with Christ, represented by drinking the cup and eating of the bread, is reason for us to bless our redeeming God and Blessing God is opportunity to bring glory to God, to make much of Him, to put the spotlight on His greatness, His mercy, His grace, to express our love, our devotion to Him. We, we see that in verses 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians 10, but we see that even more powerfully in the larger context. Um, why, why did Paul say what he said in verse 16? What's going on in the surrounding verses? 
And to understand the context, we actually have to go all the way back to chapter 8. The Corinthians, the, the Corinthian church had asked Paul, what, what should we do about food sacrificed to an idol? Now, in, in Corinth, it was a common practice to sacrifice animals in the temple of false gods. Uh, in fact, it was so common that temples would often sell surplus meat in the banquet halls. And that provided a lot of good eating. But that created a dilemma for believers. Should a believer eat some of this cheap and abundant meat that had previously been offered to idols? And their, their argument was this. We who know the one true and living God through faith in Jesus Christ know that an idol is nothing, verse 4 of chapter 8. Uh, they would go on, they say, we know that food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, we're no better if we do, verse 8 of chapter 8. But, in verses 9 through 13 of chapter 8, Paul says in response that if your exercise of freedom causes another believer with a weaker conscience to sin then don't exercise your freedom. Maybe you could eat this meat without violating your conscience and without sinning against God, but a weaker Christian might see you eating that meat and associate that act with you worshiping an idol, and if that is what they thought and they ate the meat with you even though they thought it was wrong, they would violate their conscience and, in fact, sin against God. So, you may have the freedom to eat meat because meat is meat and an idol is nothing. But, if a weaker brother stumbles because of your exercise of freedom, it's not best for you to exercise your freedom. Stronger Christians must act with consideration towards weaker Christians. Now, in chapter 9, Paul speaks to this issue from a different perspective. Uh, Paul explains that he, as an apostle, deserves to be supported by the ministry of the gospel. And in verse 14, he states, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. However, in verse 15 and following, Paul states that he's not exercised his right to be supported so that people won't think that he preached for financial gain. Instead, Paul says, though I am free, I make myself a slave to all people for the sake of the gospel. Chapter 9, verse 23. And then in chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, Paul shows shows us how he has been disciplined and focused on winning the prize, which I think was living for Christ and influencing others to do the same. So Paul says, I, I've been disciplined and focused on winning the prize, not just on exercising my own rights. So it's important for us to recognize our need to pay careful attention to the desires that rule our hearts. Uh, we have to ask ourselves, 
and say, Lord, help, help me to see clearly what you want me to see. Am I being governed by a pure desire to live for Christ and the Father's glory? Is that the motive that drives me? Or am I governed by my own selfish and sinful desires? Now, the nation of Israel got in trouble with um, this very problem. Uh, in chapters, chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, Paul reminds us that though the physical nation of Israel had experienced so much when they were delivered from slavery in Egypt and when God had provided for them in the desert faithfully again and again, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them and because of that, their bodies were scattered over the desert. They perished in the desert and did not enter into the promised land. In, in verse 6, we are told that these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. So I, I think the point is this. If we focus on our rights and just pursue the things that we want rather than thinking about what God deserves and what's best for others, then we are guilty of idolatry. We are serving our own selfish interests rather than the interests of others. And Paul says in verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. Paul says in verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test. Verse 10, he says we should not grumble, as some of them did. Instead, we should remember, verse 13, that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure, endure it. Then we come to verse 14 of chapter 10, and it begins by saying this, flee idolatry. So, flee the worship of idols. Um, what is an idol? It's a power or a desire, uh, other than living for God's glory, that governs our life. Uh, again, in this context, Paul says, it's wrong if we exercise our freedom at the expense of another brother with a weaker conscience. If the exercise of our freedom causes a weaker brother to stumble, then we have placed our own interests ahead of our brothers, and that shouldn't be. And in this case, our actions have influenced others to participate in idolatry. And obviously that should grieve our heart. We, we must not be so focused on exercising our own rights that we don't care about how the exercise of that freedom impacts other people. In, in a very real sense, we too would be guilty of idolatry because we would make more of what we want rather than what is best for others from God's perspective. So verses 16 and 17 of chapter 10 help us to understand this very point. When we partake of the cup of blessing, 
we have communion with Christ. Verse 16 talks about our communion with Christ, with the body of Christ. And says, verse 17, our communion with Christ connects us to all of our other brothers and sisters. In fact, if we have communion with Christ, then we, who are many, make up one body, which I think refers to the church. Communing with Christ connects us to the body or to the church. And it is the body or the church that is made up of many members. So the point is this then, if we are living for Christ, then we must also live in proper relationship to other brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so we as a people who belong to Christ are guilty of idolatry if we do what pleases self without any concern for the good of others. Uh, listen as I read verses 23 through the end of the chapter there in chapter 10. Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So, in, in other words, sometimes we may have the right to do something and it would be good for us, but it wouldn't be good for others. Verse 24, Paul goes on, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in a meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who's informed you and for the sake of conscience. And I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So, if your primary motive in life is for the glory of God, you will also desire what is good for others. Verse 32, Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, so that so they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I follow Christ. So let me just try to pull this together as we close and as we prepare to drink the cup and eat the bread this morning. Um, communion or participation or fellowship with Christ here in 1 Corinthians 10 teaches us to do at, le at least two things. Um, said another way, here are two related desires that the gospel produces in the lives of those who believe. One, live with all of your heart for the glory of God. And two, live with all of your heart to help others do the same. 
So that means that we should not be a people who live self-seeking lives. The, the ruling desire of our heart should not be to please self, to just get what we want or to pursue what we want with no regard for others in the church. When we care most about the glory of God, we will also care about the good of others from God's perspective. So again, as the text says in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's what the gospel produces. That's the desire that the gospel produces in us. I hope that's your desire this morning. I hope that's what you desire more and more each each day. Do you want your life to be an instrument in God's hand for His glory and the good of others? Do you want your life to be used by God to build up the church, to help others know and love Christ more than anything else? Do you love self or do you love others? Um, it reminds me of the two greatest commandments, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. I think in light of the text that we're looking at here today as, as this gospel message, uh, as we understand how this gospel message impacts our life, another way in which we can think about those two greatest commandments in all of Scripture is this, verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Um, the gospel wants to produce in us. The gospel is producing in us this desire to live for the praise of God's glory and to care deeply about being an instrument in God's hands to influence others to do the same. Um, and thankfully, I see that. I see those two desires in you, and it's a joy to see God at work in your life where you care about seeing God glorified and where you care about having relationships with others within the body of Christ, um, where, where you're, you pay attention to how your life impacts them. You desire to be an instrument in God's hands to help them to grow in their desire to live for God's, the praise of God's glory as well. Again, I see that in you, and I think all of us should desire God help, help that, those two desires to grow more and more in our life. I'm going to ask the, the other elders, um, Tony's not here today, but Andrew and Tim to come up just to prepare for.